we really want them to have a creative problem-solving growth mindset when it comes to money and success of how can I take what I know and make it amazing? And it was my son, he was four, the first time that he was like, well, I don't use this toy anymore. Do you think I could sell it to somebody else? And so we listed it on Facebook Marketplace. You start to see that ability. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Journey to Launch is supported by First Republic Bank. Relationships really matter in your life journey and financial journey. A lot of banks have great offers to attract new clients, but what about their existing clients? First Republic is always focused on creating and nurturing long-term relationships, devising strategies, not tactics, and master plans, not transactions. That's why every client gets their own personal banker, a single point of contact to call, text, or email at any time for any reason. I love that I feel valued and supported as a First Republic client long after I've already opened up my account. They value their customers and it shows. First Republic calls it banking beyond the offer. And it's part of their commitment to extraordinary service. Isn't it time to discover what a long-term banking relationship can do for you? Visit firstrepublic.com today to learn more. That's firstrepublic.com, member FDIC, equal housing lender. If you want the episode show notes for this episode, go to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this episode. In the show notes, you'll get the transcribed version of the conversation, the links that we mentioned, and so much more. Also, whether you are an OG journeyer or brand new to the podcast, I've created a free jumpstart guide to help you on your financial freedom journey. It includes the top episodes to listen to, stages to go through to reach financial freedom, resources, and so much more. You can go to journeytolaunch.com slash jumpstart to get your guide right now. Okay, let's hop into the episode. Hey, journeyers. I am so excited to have our special guest on the podcast. We are going to be talking to Chelsea Brennan. Chelsea is the founder of Smart Money Mamas and the Motivated Mama Society. She was on the podcast before in episode 175. I'm really excited to bring Chelsea back on to talk about an important topic, legacy. How do we create a legacy, pass down a legacy that is actually bigger than just money when it comes to our children or the people that we care about. So welcome back to the podcast, Chelsea. Thanks so much for having me, Jamila. I'm glad to be here. So for the journeyers who did not hear your first story or your episode of the podcast, can we just do a brief background of how you quit your job and built this brand that you built? Yeah. So real quickly, my background right out of college was in finance. I was an equity research analyst on Wall Street in New York. I was there for a few years moved to a hedge fund in Boston where I became a VP and managed my own portfolio uh, for several years until I started my family. And right before my second kid was born, we really just started to look at what work-life balance was looking like, what my health was looking like, and really wanting to better align what I did for work with my values. And so I left a couple weeks before my second was born, which was really scary because my husband was a stay-at-home dad. Uh, but we decided we'd give starting a business two years of runway and see how it goes. And now we're a little past year four. So it's going great. 
Yes. And that's what I feel like our first conversation, we aligned on so many things because I had quit my job right after having my third child. Uh, my husband is not a stay-at-home dad. I wish he was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think he's better equipped for like doing the um, primary parent role, but we both share that responsibility. What I really loved about your initial story. So again, if you have not heard Chelsea's story after this, you can go back to episode 175, is like taking that risk as the primary breadwinner, being a mom, and then still being motivated. Like I love how you transferred your your skills from being an ex-hedge fund manager to doing what you're doing. And I feel like it shows in your brand and the precision of the way you do things because you have an event coming up. And so if you're listening to this in real time, um, it's from Chelsea, say the dates. April 8th through the 10th. April 8th to the 10th. And so I felt like when I see you planning this and how much work it takes, I'm just like, wow, she is so organized. She's so on it. I think I gave you those props the last time we spoke. <laughs> but again, it just connects like everything that we do with our careers. We may not think like, oh, we're doing this thing we don't like, but it's like a building block to the next thing we want to do. Like it's helpful what you did in your past life or career life, what you're doing now, right? Absolutely. And I think we've talked about too, when you talk about your your journey levels to launch, work flexibility being a big one. Like we had been spending years preparing for financial independence. And the fact that we had this nest egg set aside gave me the freedom to go do this, right? Like I'm not recommending people just go quit their job and see if they can start a business from the ground up without any safety net. It really gave us that ability. But yeah, there's so much of what I did before that gets tied into the work I do now. And also just a whole new set of skills we had to develop as well. And I think part of the reason that I've loved this transition is what I noticed in my old career is that there are a lot of skills I had that I wasn't able to use in that job. And so moving into something that both took the best parts of what I learned from my old job and some of the things that I felt like I'd been ignoring that I really love to do, uh, like thinking about mindset, like teaching and working with independent, independently of families, uh, it's been great. Yes. And so let's talk a bit about legacy. So we were kind of discussing like, okay, if you came back on the podcast, what's the topic we could talk about that we did talk about in the first one, first episode, and you brought up legacy. And I said, yes, that's it. And you made it so that it wasn't just talking about money as a legacy of what we leave behind. But what are the foundational things that we are pouring into our family, into our children? You know, as a mom of three, you have two boys. What are we doing that's bigger than just the money? Obviously, people care about like the 529 accounts and any money that we can give them. But I wanted to dig in on that. So first, what does legacy mean to you? Mm. So legacy to me means what is the collection of beliefs about their own skills, their ability to manage money, their ability to find ways to build wealth, and how they interact with their community. What are their values that they espouse? What does that all come together into the type of people they want to be and the type of kids that if they choose to have kids in the future, how are they going to parent? How are they going to raise those kids? And so for me, it's also about what's the legacy we leave for our community. How are we impacting our community in how we live and what we do with our money when we pass? But for our kids as well, what is that legacy we're passing on? And so this was a big consideration for us. If you look at my old career, right? I was 26 years old making... Five hundred to six hundred thousand dollars a year, and in a lot of ways, we could have I could have stayed in that career and left this huge financial legacy for the boys. Right when we think of generational wealth, typically we think everyone thinks about dollars in the bank, like oh, I want to be able to leave my kids for their enough money for their first house or whatever the thing is. But then you look at the statistics, and seventy percent of generational wealth is lost by the second generation. So you do all the work to build your legacy, seventy percent of the time your kids squander it for the people that make it to the third generation, 
90% of that wealth is gone. And so if we want to create something that actually lasts, that's more something that our kids have ownership and agency over, that they feel like they're involved, then we have to do something differently. And so that was part of my decision to leave was that I was looking at what was I teaching the kids about their values? What was I teaching their kids about what work looks like, right? Is it something that you're working 80 hours a week that you don't feel like what you do has a good impact on the world? Am I telling them there's not more creative, different ways to use their skills? And so we chose to leave to say, okay, money is important. Security is important, but other things are important too. That resonates with me so much in terms of how much we can work hard to give our family a head start. But then, like you said, what the second generation, most of that time, that money is squandered. And, you know, I feel like, especially for people of color and Black people, when I don't remember the specific numbers, but it always just talks about like generational wealth and how much less we are starting with. And then so much of us are working hard, right? Working hard to build this foundation. And to think that you can work so hard to build a foundation, and even if, even if you do everything right, and you pay for the college, and I, I want to talk about this a bit, when you die, you leave them, let's say a million dollars or whatever you, you were able to leave behind, to know then that possibly the next generation may not benefit from that, or even they may not benefit from it if you did not do it the right way. And we talk about what we think the right way is. It's sad. And so it's not just about money. And I see this all the time. So my mom works in, in the school system and my husband works in the school system too. He's a teacher. And she'll tell me often, like, you know, these parents, unfortunately, some of them are working so hard because they're single parents and they don't have as much energy or time to pour into their kids because they literally have to work. So their kids are leaving school at like two or three and they have all this idle time and the kids, they have a roof over their head. They have clothes, but they need more than that. And so sometimes the parents will come in and say, I don't know what went wrong. And it's just like, because while you were meeting the physical appearance needs of them and they look good and they have the latest things emotionally, they don't know what it takes to like be a human in this world or make the right decisions. And that's what is missing. I think there's a huge piece too, when we talk about people who are first generation wealth building and they hear a term like generational wealth and they kind of shut down because, and we've experienced this in our community where people are like, well, I'm never going to be able to like leave my kids assets, right? Like I'm trying to make sure that I can pay for my retirement and help them with college. And like, that's, that's what I can do. And when we think about generational wealth that way, we leave so many people out of the conversation. So what I tell them all the time is like, you can be the start of your family's legacy just by giving them the lessons and the tools they need to go build their own wealth. Starting with a foundation of I'm entering adulthood, knowing the value of investing, knowing that my work matters and that I always have the ability to earn the money that I need, that I know how to invest, all of those things mean that they can go, they have a jumping off point that you didn't have. And so generational wealth doesn't just mean dollars. And even if you're not in a position to leave dollars, you can still create that legacy. Totally, totally agree. What's more important when I think about my mom and the legacy she has left me, she's still alive, thank God. But the, what, how she <laughs> gave me the head start was she didn't, yes, and later on, she was able to give me money to help me buy my first property. But before that, even if she didn't give me that money, I was already instilled with this confidence and mindset that I could do anything. And it wasn't like this false, like everyone gets a trophy thing, but it was like literally like you could do anything. And if you fail, I will be behind you every step of the way, like you are capable. And that was worth more than anything, even growing up, not having much. 
that was so important. And I see it and I'm like, okay, how can I do that for my kids? Right? Like, well, how can we speak the confidence and the self-worth into them so that the decisions they make can be ones that eventually come into fruition as material things if they want. Absolutely. So one of the things we do to kind of create that is we are, I'm a big proponent of having set family money values and really getting honest about what are our goals as a family? How do we talk to each other about money? What are the things that we don't say? This is even getting aware of like, what are your partner's money triggers, money anxieties, and knowing how to not step on those toes, right? Like this is the conversation, the example I use all the time is we had a woman in the society who was really frustrated of every time she felt like she brought up money, her spouse would freak out. (laughs) He would just get really upset and he wouldn't want to talk about it and he'd shut the conversation down. Well, after a whole bunch of work we do in our membership community, we do a whole lot of mindset work. She was like, okay, so what I realized is I tend to bring it up at the dinner table, like not as an argument, but I'm just mentioning something that came in the mail. And he loses it. And as she talked to him more like not on specifics, not on blame, just like, hey, how did you grow up with money? His parents fought about money at the dinner table all the time. So conscious or unconscious or subconscious, he did not want to hear the money conversation at the table. Like it it didn't matter if it was the most positive conversation in the world. He couldn't do it at the dinner table. And when they shifted to like, hey, Thursday nights, can we have after the kids go to bed, have a money conversation? It all got easier because he could mentally prepare for it. It wasn't in a place that gave him, you know, money anxiety. And so that goes into your family money values too of like, how do we talk about it? When do we talk about it? Yeah, totally. And I think if we are like, let's maybe look back at us. Like, I'm curious to know what was your family or money family values growing up? And what is the legacy you felt like was left to you? How did it instill you? I'm always curious when I meet fellow ambitious people, what made them that way, right? Nature or nurture? Like, it wasn't just inherent that, you know, Chelsea is so ambitious and does all this. Or were there certain things that helped you be that way that your parents actually did? What was that for you? Absolutely. So my dad was an entrepreneur. And so that had a big impact on me. And this is the thing that when you teach your kids money lessons, there's going to be put, you're not going to do it perfectly, just like anything in parenting. <laughs> there's going to be to be flaws. And so for my dad, he was a person who idolized wealth, thought like pe- wealthy people were like better. It was just his whole thing. And despite the fact that he wasn't very good with money, like he was good at investing. He, you know, he understood, he did index funds and he, he always saved. They always had a lot of credit card debt, right? Like he was always trying to look wealthy instead of actually being wealthy, right? And so for me, one of the things I took away is I was a natural saver, which is how I am. I'm more of a security seeker. And so he praised that from when I was really, really little. And so one of the things I learned was that A, the more successful I was financially, the more love and attention and praise that I got. And so that was a thing. And so I had built this relationship that like net worth, this is something that the mindset that I have narrowed down to is I had this mindset that net worth equals worthiness, right? And so I had a really hard time as an adult, even when I was earning really good money, spending like a cent of it. Because every time I saw that bank account balance go even a little bit down, it it made me nervous. It made me scared. And so that was something that I had to work through. But the positive sides of that were that I, I learned how to work hard. I learned how to invest. And I will say that like his business partner retired in his like late 40s. He was like 47, 48. He was like an original Boglehead guy. And he got me investing and teaching me about investing from a really young age, like 12 and 13. He got me security analysis by Benjamin Graham for my 14th birthday. And I'm just like, this is like a tome. If you guys have ever seen that book, it's like a brick. <laughs> it's very boring, but it was actually it was interesting. So anyway, I learned a lot of positive things in that frame, but I had to rework my own mindset on spending when I got older. 
That's so interesting. And exposure, I mean, is like everything. So the fact that you 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 grew up seeing an entrepreneur that he actually was aware of investing and at least told you about saving or encouraged that in you. And then the fact that you knew someone who would even gift you a book like that at 14. And when I think about what was passed down to me, it was more the internal work. And it was actually my mom valuing experiences over things. So she would spend her last to put me in gymnastics or swimming class because she wanted me to have that experience. You know, she I remember going to the Bronx Zoo and taking all these these trips with her and she spoke to me a lot. That's the other thing. Um, my mom always says this, that you have to teach your kids how to be critical thinkers and be the voice. Like you have to teach them to have that internal voice that helps them make the right choices because you're not always going to be there to tell them what to do. And so she said she would talk to me about everything and she would ask me, what would you do in this situation? Or here's just what's happening. Like, tell me or walk me through this. And I feel like that is a big reason why maybe when it comes to money and my career and all the things that I'm doing, I'm so uh, thoughtful about the things that I'm doing because I'm critically thinking about you know, the trade-offs and what can be. And then on the flip side, if like the same thing with you about not wanting to spend money, I feel like there are still things that I could work on. So for me, it's more of also spending money. Like at one point I was tied to how much can I save and invest? Then I'm now pulling back to say, okay, but how can I spend money in a way that frees up time, energy, allows me to enjoy my life? And sometimes that's a little hard for me because I'm like, will I still be able to make the same amount of money next year? Will like, there's a bit of that scarcity back and forth that comes into play that I have to be aware of. Absolutely. And I think that it's learning to view money as a tool and money as a means to an end and not an end in itself. I think a lot of us, when we start that FI journey, it's like, how high can we get our savings rate? How much money can we put in the bank? And we lose sight a little bit of the fact that like money in itself is not a benefit. It's like, what are we trying to build with it? And your point about raising your kids critical thinking skills. It's one of the core things that we focus on in our house. And so you hear a lot like don't tell your kids you can't afford something, right? Like this is a bad mindset thing. But what do you say instead? Because a lot of people are like, okay, yeah, it's great that the rich never tell their kids that but like, they can afford it. So of course, they don't tell their kids that. And so for us, the alternative is mom and dad have different priorities right now with our budget, what would you do to afford it? And always ending with putting it back on them to problem solve. Like we really want them to have a creative problem solving growth mindset when it comes to money and success of how can I take what I know and make it amazing? And it was my son, he was four the first time that he was like, well, I don't use this toy anymore. Do you think I could sell it to somebody else? And so we listed it on Facebook Marketplace. You start to see that ability. And that's the thing, it happens at such a young age and you can start cultivating it at a very young age. So Let's talk a bit more about like the mindset piece and how you are seeing scarcity versus abundance when it comes to money and resources and how you're teaching your kids about that. Because now that I have more and, you know, I don't know what, how it was with you, but like this mom has more than what my mom had in terms of resources and money. But part of what makes me me is that I didn't have as much. So I feel like that drive and that ambition is because I had that kind of striving mindset. And if you do raise your kids with more, how can you still give them a striving mindset, not struggle mindset, but striving? Like, you know, they want more. They're not wasteful. They're appreciative. What are your thoughts on that? So there's two things I would want to mention. The first is we operate what we call a family financial ecosystem. So how do we make sure that everyone in the family is succeeding? And when you think about it, like adult child needs to move back home, that's going to pull mom and dad down. Mom and dad don't save for retirement. 
kids are worried about do they have to it's all we all have to have this balance and so even though our kids are little so they just turned four and six we already explain this concept to them and it's actually how we explain allowance to them that like hey someday you're going to be have a much bigger role in helping us continue to maintain our financial safety and security and wealth right now you're old enough to manage six dollars a week but every year you get older you're going to get a little bit more and like and we encourage them so when we sit down so i have a side business. It's just like a passion little business selling stickers that like my friend and I design. And so Henry will come, my six-year-old will come and help me pack orders. And when he has an idea, I don't just, even if it's just crazy because he's six, right? Let him talk it out. Like, oh, why do you think someone would pay for that? And like really start to have, let them have that ownership because we want them to have that kind of dynastic thinking where, you know, how do I make this thing that mom and dad are passing on even better for my kids and, and so forth, or my community and so forth, if they choose not to have kids, right? And so making them feel like they're part of this team instead of, you know, the kids is, is huge. And then the second part is giving them that autonomy. Allowance is a huge factor in setting boundaries about what we will buy for them and when and what they're responsible for. Like, we will take them to the aquarium, but if you want to buy a snack or buy something from the lunch stand and not eat what we packed you – that's going to come out of your allowance and thinking about that because just learning how to budget, how to plan, how to set a goal and reach it. Every time the boys reach a savings goal, it's so much fun because like we, we keep savings charts for them. Their savings charts always have a picture of what they're saving for on the top. Every time they get a dollar, they color it in. And when they reach the end, they're pumped. They want to go to the store. They're the ones who we make them do the whole transaction. My six-year-old just used to move to digital allowance, but for a while they used cash and so they're counting it out and everything. And so it's just that practice of saving isn't something that means my money goes away and I disappear and I don't understand it. Saving means I could get something really cool that I couldn't get otherwise if I wait. That's great. Okay. I want to go back to the allowance part and then just logistically because how that works. Because I remember having this conversation with you in the last episode about the ice cream truck. It's getting warmer outside. The ice cream truck comes every time at the park and <laughs> ice creams are, they used to be a dollar. Okay. Like a dollar 50, which, you know, great. Now they're just for our ice cream cone with sprinkles. It's like $3. I have three kids. Yeah. You cannot get ice cream every day. And I see some parents doing it. I'm like, you know, whatever. I'm not counting pockets, but with this, right? Like perfect opportunity to say, listen, and we were doing this. We did, we did kind of fall off, but we were doing this where we were giving them the allowance and it was only as much as you had. If you had the money to do it, fine. But then what would happen is, and I guess we got to get over this hump. If one person spent the money and the other person did it, they'd be like, because they're not logical yet, they're still building that sense. They didn't understand why. Even though you just bought an ice cream, that's why you can't get another one. How do you get over like the guilt of, I should be doing this. I should be buying them ice cream, not every day, but why should I make them pay for it? Or why shouldn't I contribute more? And I think that's kind of the part where I know as me as a mom, sometimes I get tripped up where it's like, I should do this for them, like their kids. So this is where I love the phrase, I'm not raising kids, I'm raising adults. And I want them to grow up to be an adult. And while it might feel in this moment, like I should do all these things for them, what we should do is give them the skills to thrive when they're older. And so you can decide as a family, hey, guys, every Tuesday at the park, I will buy you ice cream. If you want ice cream on another day, you have to use your own allowance. And yes, that causes hard moments as a parent and that we have to work through because it's tearing at our own hearts. 
We hate to see them struggle, but these are the moments, right? Can we can we learn when they're in $3 decisions and not in $300, $3,000 decisions is the power. And so for us, the boys get a dollar per each year of age. It's not tied to chores. This is a part of being part of that family system, right? You are practicing with money. So they get a dollar per year of age. And that's per week? Per week, yes. Okay. It has to be split into their saving, their giving, and their spending categories. So for my six-year-old, he goes $2 per week. For my four-year-old, you mentioned how you kind of fell off with allowance. The most important thing when we're talking about teaching kids about money is consistency. And so when you talk to adults who had allowance that kind of started and stopped and started and stopped, it builds a lot of insecurity around money and that money is something that can be taken away and this kind of power dynamic. And so we encourage making allowance as simple as possible so you can stick to it. This might mean if your kids are a little bit older, kind of six and above, switching to digital allowance, which will auto pay them every week and then you don't have to worry about it. Or for my four-year-old, splitting $4 into three buckets is a pain in the butt. And so what you tell him is he's got to put $1 in each jar and then each week he gets to choose where the last dollar goes. That's the first part. The second part is they must always have a saving and a giving goal that is entirely self-directed, right? So I don't tell them what kind of charities to give to. I don't tell them what to save for. But each time they pick a new savings goal, it's got to be the only stipulation. It's got to be a little bit bigger than the goal they set last time. And so we're building the muscle of delayed gratification. And this is a place where a lot of parents get stuck because we see the value of early compound growth and we think about their big college costs. And so we want that savings money to be for their future. But if you're six, seven years old, college and retirement are like never, never land, right? You're like, what, what are you even talking about? I can't think a week in the future. Like, why are you taking my money for 10 years from now? What if there was a way for you to save thousands of dollars so that you could spend more money on what matters to you? If you have a monthly car loan payment, chances are you're paying too much on your vehicle loan. AutoApprove can help you refinance your current car loan so that you can lower your monthly payment, get a better rate, or both. AutoApprove connects vehicle owners with the best available rates to refinance their current car loans with no markups ever, and even handles the DMV paperwork making it simple to save thousands and lower your monthly payments. Check this out. In 2021, auto-approved customers saved on average $1,692 per year. What would you do with that much money back in your pocket? Me? Ooh, I'd probably take a solo staycation at a local hotel or hire the babysitter more for some date nights out with hubby. It's time for you to put more money back into your pocket to spend on the things that matter to you. Get more money for what matters to you the most with AutoApprove. Find out how much you can save at AutoApprove.com slash Journey to Launch. That's A-U-T-O-A-P-P-R-O-V-E dot com slash Journey to Launch. It's really about what is a goal that is just a little beyond what would really kind of stretch them. So like Henry, who's my six-year-old, he saves for goals that are about six months out right now to get to. And so those are their goals. If they want extra money, they can either find ways to be entrepreneurial and creative. This could be selling their toys on Facebook Marketplace. This could be doing a lemonade stand. Or there are extra over and above tasks that we will pay them for. So the rule in our house is if you can say no to it, we will negotiate paying you for it. So for example, they cannot say no to filling the dishwasher. They cannot say no to making their bed. They can say no to washing dad's truck. Then we'll negotiate paying you for that. And so there are ways they can earn extra money, but that's the system. And they always have to make sure that they're tracking those goals, the saving and the giving goals are there. And the spending money is for them. And we have to kind of take that step back 
and let them make mistakes with the spending money too, right? I mean, we had poor Henry's getting all the examples because he's the older one, so we have more experience with him. But he had $5 at the fair. We gave him an extra $5 at the fair two years ago. So he was just four and he lost it. (laughs) And he was devastated. And he was so upset. And he was asking for another $5. My husband and I like were like, hold on, stay. My uh, sister-in-law was with us. Like, stay with Auntie Katie for a minute. And so we went and talked. And Jeremiah's like, I feel like we should really give him another $5. I'm like, I do too. But I feel like this will never happen again if we just like get through this period of time. And so we are already at the fair. He already had his wristband to go on rides. He just couldn't do like an extra game or something. And he was so up. He has never lost. Like, he just holds on to it like crazy. And like, even his wallet, when he's carrying his wallet in the store, he'll be like, can you put it in your purse until I'm ready for it? Like, I don't want to leave it on the shelf. And so it's hard. It's so hard, but it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So walk me through what you're doing with like, if they get gifts or cash gifts for their birthdays or Christmas, especially if it's a lot, you know, like they're getting $30, $50 from multiple people. How are you thinking about that in terms of giving it to them or saving or investing on their behalf? So this is a place where open communication with your family is important. And so when we started doing their money lessons, we talked to their grandparents about this is the max amount you can put in their card. If you want to contribute money to their 529, if you want to do more money somewhere else, just don't put it in the card because we don't want to build a relationship where money is given to them and we take it away. It's like not a power dynamic we want. And so 10 to $15 is the amount that they could get in a card. And for that money, we want them to save at least 20% and the rest they can decide what they want to do with. Now, a lot of times they actually choose to put it towards their savings and their giving goals because they like to, to reach those, they like to reach those milestones, but they can keep it for spending money. So currently my, you know, my six year old just turned six in February. He has like $50 in his spending budget because of his birthday. And he doesn't want to spend it because he knows we're we're going on a ton of different vacations this summer, visiting different grandparents and whatever. And he loves to go into like little beach shops and stuff. It's one of his favorite things. So he keeps being like, I'm going to save it for when we go to Cape Cod. Great. And set it aside for that. But yeah, so we've just made sure that that amount of money doesn't come past their eyes. Right. But if you do get more, what do you do with that? Are you investing on their behalf or you haven't gotten to that part Oh, so we, yes. So their grandparents will often for birthdays and and holidays write checks for their 529. So we put it in their 529. And we have a goal of we will save in their 529 enough to pay for four-year state school. And then any additional savings we want to do for them, we keep it in investment accounts in our name just because it has a lower impact on the FAFSA if that ever became an issue. And we just have more control over it. But we set it aside there in case they decide not to go to college or something. We have a little bit more flexibility with that 529. Right. And it's so interesting because what's happening like in our family dynamic, it's different. So we'll have multiple people give cash and I'm not going to tell like them not to give us cash for our kids. You know, like it's like sometimes it's 30, sometimes it's 40 dollars per kid, which, you know, we're grateful to have so many people. And it's not like they get a lot of cars that have that. But, you know, in a year, like one kid could get maybe like 300, you know, total for like birthdays and Christmases from multiple people. So what we've been doing is at a certain age, we put it in an investment account in our name. I was actually speaking to my financial planner yesterday and they suggested you can still do that or you can open up the custodial accounts for them and like start separating, separating it out. But it's like when people give me money for them, and especially because at the age of my kids are seven, five, and three. So certainly the seven and five-year-old, like they have their ideas of what they want to buy and what they want to do. But they were at the point when we first started this where it was like all just like one pot of money. So we're putting it all in one pot. And when you get to a certain age, we'll divvy out in equal thirds. As they get older, this is like their money now. 
And now we have to consciously make a decision. How are we going to handle the bigger money amounts that come in? I don't know. Culturally, like I'm not going to say to like that to people like don't only give us 10 or 15, $15 because people actually feel good. They're like, listen, this is my niece. This is my nephew. Here's $40 for them. But I'm like, okay, but now I have to figure out what that looks like to divvy it out and come up with a system that's consistent and fair because I do feel like it's their money. It's not my money. Like people will say, oh, go buy them something or use it on something that they want. And I'm like, but if I'm putting them in a class, I'm putting them in a class. I'm not going to use the money you gave me to like pay for the class. You know what I mean? So it's like, we come to that point where, or if I'm buying them clothes, it's my decision to buy them the clothes. Unless they say, I want this new jacket, which they don't think they don't care about that stuff yet. So I feel like with the, we're still figuring out quite honestly, like what to do with the gifts. So that's why I was so curious is is what you do at yours. Yeah. So when we don't tell people not to give us more than, or like you can give them whatever you want, just only give them that much. Got it. And we're also very blessed too that they, people want to give them money, want to put money aside for their future. We've explained to them, listen, at six, they can't think that far in advance and it's actually hurting their money mindset if they see money and it disappears. So if you could just like give them 10 to $15 that they can spend and have a blast with and just write a check or give us cash or whatever for the other part and we will put it right in an account for them. That works much better, right? Because I agree with you because they're like, no, no, it's my it's my grandkid. It's my niece. It's my whatever. And I don't want to shut that down at all. And I don't want to like, that money can go for them. That's that's amazing. The one thing with the custodial accounts, just to mention, and this it really depends on the level of wealth you have and whatever. If you do have any plan to even fill out the FAFSA for financial aid, an account in the child's name has a much bigger hit to financial aid than a parent-owned account. So 20% of child-owned assets are expected to be used for college expenses. Sorry, 20% of kid-owned assets. 5.6% of parent-owned assets are used to reduce financial aid. So if there's any chance that you could end up with financial aid, and sometimes for people with financial independence, you do qualify because your income numbers are so low because you're only withdrawing. And so it's just something to consider. And that's why we actually keep it separate. That's a good point. And that's one of the reasons why we were keeping it separate. But And this is where people come to these decisions and spend so long not doing something. Because now you're like weighing the fact of, oh, like, well, we don't know what's going to happen in 15 or 20 years. And should we not just make things clean, separate it so they have their own money, it's in their name versus having it in our name? Like, I just feel like sometimes things become so complicated and work against you. Hmm. We do have separate accounts. So we opened sub accounts, sub taxable accounts. So each boy has an account that is nicknamed for them, even though it's ours. So it's separate from our money. And we can no- see what is each boy's. It's just that it's it's in our name. So it's in your names, so right? Right. I think that's great. And it sounds like too. Like, are you paying? Or do your since your son helps you with one of your side businesses, your oldest one? Are you paying him? And he does he have a Roth IRA? Because that's one of the things that we did with our kids, as um, we've learned that it's helpful and legal to do. <laughs> so that business is new, and so we're still paying off. Like, we're not profitable yet. And so it like impacts or whatever. So we're not doing it yet, but we, he and I have both talked, he, I've talked with him about that of like, and negotiate. He's so funny because they don't really understand fully yet. They, they've gained so much information, but they still, the range of value is so interesting to them when you ask him how much he wants to be paid. And it's either so low or so high when they're that age, they're like, they just can't get it. And I was explaining to someone the other day that the boys went to an archery shop. My six-year-old got his, his first like bow just to shoot targets, whatever, for his birthday. And he wanted new arrows. And so he went with my husband. And my husband 
has always really wanted to, to do more archery. He did it like at camp as a kid, but he wanted to do more of it. So he bought himself a bow so he can shoot with Henry. And Henry got three arrows. So it cost him $12 of his spending money. And he comes in and he tells me that this is how much it costs and this is how much he has left. And then he goes, mom, dad spent over a hundred dollars. And it was like, you could see his brain was like thinking about how long it would take him to even get a hundred dollars. And so then we had to have that same conversation of like, well, daddy gets more spending money than you because he has more control over our finances. And it was just like, but he was, it was so funny. So anyway, he will get a Roth IRA probably in the next year. Yeah. Yeah. And I do want to just go, just take it a little bit back for people. But if you have a business, your kids, if they have earned income, they can open up or you can open up for them a Roth IRA. And then that's after tax money. And then that money be invested over time for them. The caveat, because I do want to say as an entrepreneur, I know there's like, you know, there's these tweets and memes that like say that. And it's like, you have to be careful because they actually have to be doing something in the business or it has to be earned income. And there's a million of things, not millions, but there are things that they can do, whether that's like helping you with your mail or social media. You know, for me, it's like the mod, like they are very expensive models. If I use them (laughs) on social media for things like that costs a lot of money. So I have to pay them to do that. So you have to be intentional and and just don't take sometimes like people say, oh, save all this money, do all this stuff, but make sure you're talking to your tax uh, planner or your advisor to make sure that these are legit ways, but that is a way that you can invest on behalf of your kids. That's something that you see TikTok advice all the time of like open a Roth IRA for your kid with no specifications, like hire your kid. If you don't have a business, you can't just like hire your kid to mow the lawn and that's Roth IRA money. It can't, you have to have a business or they have to be working for someone else. So if they're babysitting or they're mowing somebody else's lawn who's paying them, that can be earned income. And all you have to do is track it, easy spreadsheet, like um, just make sure you have some record of it, but that you can't hire them unless you have a business. Right. So good uh, point to make. And I, you know, I like that we're having just like this kind of casual conversation about it because I know I can't be the only mom. And even though I'm, you know, a personal finance educator who still struggles with like what to actually do and like in the thick of it, you know, in the day to day, like overall big scheme, I know what I want for them. I know what we're we're aiming to do, but in the day to day, how are we raising money conscious kids that can go into the world and be okay? Like that's something I think a lot of people struggle with. Absolutely. It's why we decided to do Mama's Talk Money, which we mentioned you're speaking at. We focused this theme around legacy because I feel like we have to have a broader conversation. Either some people feel they're not worthy of a legacy or they can't think about it yet. Like once I achieve these things, I'll think about what I want to do. Or they have some vision of it, but they haven't figured out how to align the day-to-day with that goal, which is exactly what you're talking about. And what they're doing today might actually be moving them to a totally different message that they're not centered in on. Like, okay, do I? what do I have to change? And so that's what the whole focus of the weekend is like, how do we get different perspectives on what legacy looks like? Right. And again, I love that it's not just based on money. Of course, like after their needs are met, that's great. But what does it look like to be intentional at these young ages? Or maybe you have older kids, right? Or nieces and nephews that you want to help. Mama's Talk Money, the summit is happening from April 8th to the 10th. So if you're listening to this in real time or before the event happens, you can grab your ticket at journeytolaunch.com slash legacy. I will be speaking on that Friday. I believe that's when I'm speaking, but there's so many amazing speakers. And again, you do such a great job with like putting this all together. Like I'm like, Chelsea, I need to hire you for like my book launch in two years. Like, can you help me? Can you take a break from your job (laughs) to help organize what I need to do? (laughs) But I think part of it too, like as a mom or as a parent 
is how do we pour into ourselves so that we have enough to give to our children? So I do kind of want to end or at least touch on that. Do you have thoughts on how do we pour into ourselves without feeling guilty? How do we have more time and energy and be selfish in a way so that eventually it helps other people? But really, let's talk about helping ourselves first. (laughs) So often, oh my gosh, all the time, people come to me and they're like, how do I teach my kids about money? Like, is there a book? Is there a, you know, how do I do this? And I'm like, well, have you worked on your money stuff? Like, how do you feel about money and your money mindset? And they're like, well, I don't want to talk about that. (laughs) I just want to work with my kid. And the reality is, yeah, talking to them is great. Allowance practices are great. But what they're watching day in and day out is you. And that is where they're picking up the majority of their money lessons, the majority of their life lessons, the majority of their, you know, sense of self-confidence, right? Are they watching you put yourself last? Are they watching you have passions and curiosities and interests that you never explore because either out of fear or out of not prioritizing the time or whatever it is? What example are you setting across the board? And by pouring into yourself and being the best version of yourself, you're showing your kids how to live. And that's going to be a much more powerful lesson than any book you could buy them, any quick resource you could you could play with them. Those things are good. They're just not the whole picture. And I, so I think that's the most important thing is like, how do we decide to take the things that hold us back, our limiting beliefs, and heal them so we don't inadvertently pass them on? Mm, that's the key. <laughs> it is. It is. And I know it sounds like, you know, it's when we say it, it, it sounds simple, but we know that that takes work. It takes a lot of work to get that done. It does. And you mentioned teenagers for a second. So we, you and I both have young kids. So we talk a lot about young kids. And I just want to mention that if you're, you have an older kid, right? You've got a 12 to 18 to 20 year old, right? And you feel like we've never had these conversations. So now you're listening to Jamila and I and you're like, well, crap. Like <laughs> I've just really am behind the eight ball. Those conversations can still happen. They're going to be different, right? Cause your kid is older and they already have their own preconceived notions about money. They've gotten old enough, but this is a place to come alongside them, right? And to say like, Hey, I'm just starting to learn about this, this money mindset, this legacy. And I realize how much I struggle. There are places I went wrong as an adult, and I don't want that for you. So tell me, like, what do you think about when you think about money? What do you think wealth means? And how can we start to do this together? Because, A, you got to make sure you understand what's going on in their head. Don't assume you know what they think about money because it probably is different. They've learned from their peers and from books and from media. But also, if you want to establish that growth mindset, that curiosity, that critical problem solving that Jamila was mentioning earlier, you have to show them that that continues through life, that you don't have it all figured out and that you are still investing in yourself and investing in learning and growing. So it gives them permission to not know the answer and to come with you to you when they don't know the answer, to come to you when they make a mistake. That's so key is to like show them like I'm human too. Like I know you see me as like, perfect or, you know, but you're, or you're starting to see my flaws and you get mad at that. I, I find that I, when I hear, like, especially older kids and if they're like upset at their parents, it's just like, they forget that their parents like <laughs> are still humans evolving. And I think to be honest with yourself, to be honest with your kids about what you don't know about what you're figuring out, like it's okay to be vulnerable with them and to have the money conversations and it's okay to make mistakes. Like I know, like you said, I'm so glad you brought up for the parents with older kids or someone who has not talk, talked about this yet. It's like, it's never too late. It's never too late to start the conversation. Even if maybe you have an older kid and you're like, all right, like even like older, like they're like in their twenties, you know, like thirties, maybe who knows. And of course I think you approach it differently because now they're adults, you know, there's, there's always should be respect. Right. But like, 
there's a level of let's have these open uh, conversations about this. Last thing, because now I'm thinking about like, if you are a, a young adult listening to this and you realized that maybe is there's like almost like parenting up, if you are parented or the way you parent and you're trying to change and break generational curses and things that you want done differently, what is your advice for like someone who's listening, who has parents who is like, you know, now it's like, they're currently parenting their own kids, but they're realizing that there are things that their parents are actually still doing quote unquote wrong with their money. Is there a way to approach those conversations? And I know that's probably a whole nother (laughs) episode, but, but now I'm like, all right, but how, how do you as a kid, like talk up or parent up to your parents who need this kind of love? So if you're new to this, the first thing I would do is really look at your money story. So think back of like, what are your pivotal memories you have about money from when you were a little kid? What, how did you see your parents interact with money? And really do some work on what did you take away from that? So where did your money mindset come from? And where are some of those limiting beliefs that you're still struggling with? The reason I say that is that when we're new to this, we can get really upset with our parents of like, I can't believe you didn't teach me this, or I can't believe you did this, and it made me think that, Right. And that's a hard way. And so you have to do a little bit of your own healing on this stuff before you can really approach your parents in a way that's going to be productive. The next thing is, is not, you know, telling them what to do. I think a great place to start the conversation is, hey, I've been thinking a lot about what I want to teach my kids about money and what I want to believe about money. And I'm just curious, like, what were you trying to teach us? And because what you took away from whatever they were doing, they might have just gotten it off base, right? Or you as a kid with limited perspective took it a different way. And so ask them, what were you intending to do? And use that as a starting point of like, hey, that's really interesting that you wanted me to, you know, have this creative problem solving, this abundance mindset when I always, you know, I took away that we never did X, Y, Z. And start it from a conversation of like mutual understanding that you as a parent or a future parent realize that we don't get it right sometimes and that that's not a flaw. It's not a like value judgment. Um, it's a good place to start the conversation when it comes to actually the choices they're making, how they're investing, how much they're saving for retirement. I think other than sharing what you're doing and presenting them with resources, it can be really hard to parent up in that way. And for them to feel like you're telling them what to do, it's a major dynamic shift that even when your parents really get older and you're dealing with the transition of care, that's a whole different level. But yeah, presenting resources is a, is a great way. So one of the things we've seen is really successful is you hear a podcast episode, you read a book, just forward it to your parents. Don't even give it any commentary like, hey, I thought this was really interesting. Maybe you would like it. And let them start the conversation if they are open to having that conversation with you. Right, right. It's that unique challenge that sandwich generation, right? Where like you're in the middle and you have parents that you may have to take care of in the future and then you're taking care of your kids. Mm-hmm. All right, Chelsea, <laughs> this was such an, a great conversation. I want you to tell everyone about um, the Mama's Talk Money Summit, what they can expect if they attend and the dates again and where they can sign up. Absolutely. So Mama's Talk Money, The Legacy You Leave is a three-day all online live conference. And so we're going to have six keynote talks, nine panels. Jamila is going to be on one of our panels on Friday. And then every day, what we're really excited about that's going to make this special is we're doing a 90-minute Zoom group workshop. And so we're going to talk about what are your family money values? What do you want to teach your kids? The next day, we're going to talk about what kind of legacy do you want to leave, both for your kids and your community? And then that last day, we're going to take that and put that into the action steps you have to take today to start taking today to make that happen. So you're going to end the weekend feeling like you have an actual plan. Um, we have thousands and thousands of dollars of giveaways. We're going to have a ton of fun, but that's what you can expect from the weekend. There will be replays available. So if you can't attend one of the days or you can't attend the whole weekend, you'll be, you'll have 30 days of replays, but it's April 8th through the 10th and we hope to see you there.
Yes. And you can get your ticket at journeytolaunch.com slash legacy. And I'll be speaking on Friday. So I hope you guys can attend if you're watching this live or listening to this live. Awesome. Thanks, Chelsea. Thank you so much, Jamila. Don't forget, you can get the episode show notes for this episode by going to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this. And you can still grab your jumpstart guide for free to help you on your journey to financial freedom by going to journeytolaunch.com slash jumpstart. If you want to support me and the podcast and love the free content and information that you get here, here are four ways that you can support me and the show. One, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast wherever you listen, whether that's Apple Podcasts, that purple app on your phone, your Android device, YouTube, Spotify, wherever it is that you happen to listen, just subscribe so you are not missing an episode. And if you're happening to listen to this in Apple Podcasts, rate, review, and subscribe there. I appreciate and read every single review. Number two, follow me on my social media accounts. I'm at Journey to Launch on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I love, love, love interacting with journeyers there. Three, support and check out the sponsors of this show if you hear something that interests you. Sponsors are the main ways we keep the podcast lights on here. So show them some love for supporting your girl. Four, and last but not least, share this episode, this podcast with a friend or family member or coworker so that we can spread the message of Journey to Launch. All right, that's it. Until next week, keep on journeying, journeyers. Journeyers.